Hello, folks, and welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. We hope that this message will bless your heart, draw you closer to Jesus Christ, and help you in your daily walk as you seek to serve our Lord. Shining face this morning. We've kind of gotten over the daylight savings time problem. And uh, the sun is shining bright. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. We'll be looking at a passage there from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on this Resurrection Sunday. This morning as we celebrate our risen Savior, He conquered sin and, and death and came forth from that grave victorious. It's because He lives that we can face tomorrow. The resurrection of Jesus is one of the most important events in human history, if not the most important. Without the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity would be just a hollow religion like all the others. But because He lives, that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference in our lives. It makes all the difference in the world. The resurrection of Jesus is the absolute foundation upon which Christianity is built on. And so without that, we would all be believing and teaching and preaching a lie. There's so much evidence to support the fact that He arose. And that's the title of the message this morning, is the evidence. As we look at some of the evidence in Scripture from 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, we'll do that in just a minute. But I want you to listen to what some people in more modern times have had to say, in more modern times about the resurrection. This week you may have seen in the news G. Gordon Liddy passed away at the age of 90. Y'all remember G. Gordon Liddy? Some of us may not or don't know much about him. He was a mastermind behind the Watergate scandal and went to the pen for that scandal back when the Nixon administration was going on. But G. Gordon Liddy died this week at the age of 90, but Pastor Chuck Colson said this about the resurrection in regards to Watergate. Listen to what he says. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because twelve men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for forty years. Never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. On the other hand, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. That's from Pastor Chuck Colson. Billy Graham said this about the resurrection. He said, there's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. That was from Billy Graham. And then from a 
a, an author that's familiar to a lot of us, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of the, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Tolkien said this, The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus means that one day everything sad will come untrue. And amen to that. Let's read together there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he says there in verse 1, Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. Continuing on in verse 12. But if, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let's pray. Father, we praise You this morning for the fact that Jesus has been resurrected. He's our risen Savior, Lord. We, we preach Him this morning. Father, hide me behind the cross. Let the message that You would have us to hear this morning be heard clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now there are a lot of naysayers who would dispute the resurrection. Those that say it never happened. There's no way it could have happened. But this morning I want us to look at four elements in Scripture that would point to the establishment of the resurrection as an absolute fact. I want you to imagine with me this morning for just a minute. In your imagination. I want you to imagine that we're in a courtroom setting. We're in a court this morning. We're all in the, in the courtroom. And on the one side, there's the, the prosecuting attorney who is Satan. 
He's trying to prove that the resurrection didn't happen. On his side, there are the chief priests and Sadducees, Pharisees, and all those who deny the resurrection. On the other side is the defense. Defending the gospel. Defending the fact that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. On that side, there are those champions of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. Moses is there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Noah. Some of our loved ones who have passed on before us are there on that side. Sitting on the side of the defense. And then there's the jury sitting in the jury box. And we're going to join the trial, if you will imagine, we're, the trial is halfway over. Satan has already given his, his called all his witnesses and, and he's rested his case. And now it's time for the defense to get up and speak. And so the defense attorney stands up and he said, I'd like to call my first witness. The witness comes forward and they say, state your name for the record. The first witness says, I'm Isaiah the prophet. What do you have to tell us about the Messiah? What evidence can you bring forward? He said, I would like to tell you about the expectation of the Messiah in the Old Testament. The expectation of the Messiah. There's so many prophecies, over 300 prophecies that tell of Jesus' coming from Genesis to, to, uh, to Malachi. Prophecies detailing His virgin birth and that He would be, be born in Bethlehem. Prophecies telling how He would die a brutal death. His lineage from King David. His coming from the tribe of Judah. All these prophecies are there that, that tell about the Messiah coming. The expectation of Him coming. Isaiah writes, he says, I write in my own prophecy in, in chapter 7 and verse 14. Where it says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel. Isaiah goes on to say that there's so many other Old Testament writers. The writer of Psalms even told about the crucifixion in Psalm 22 and verse 16 where the Messiah would have His hands and feet pierced. Listen to Psalm 22 verse 16. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. And then in verse 18 of that same psalm, it tells about how His clothes will be divided up by casting lots. Listen to verse 18 of Psalm 22. Men will cast lots for Messiah's clothing. It says, They will divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Isaiah would go on to say as he's on the witness stand how the expectation of the Messiah was there. In Psalm 16 and verse 10, it talks about His resurrection. In that book, 16 and verse 10 of Psalms, it says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And then Isaiah's testimony says, lastly, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I wrote in my book, chapter 53, verses 8 through 11, prophecy about his resurrection and his atoning work on the cross. It says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? 
for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My, righteousness, my righteous servant will just justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. You see, there was this expectation of the Messiah in the Old Testament. So many prophecies that would come true regarding the Savior. And Isaiah says, that's my testimony. The defense attorney says, I don't have any other... Don't have any other questions for this witness. And then it's Satan's turn to cross-examine. Satan, he gets up and he says, Isaiah, I have one question for you. Did you actually see the Messiah risen with your own eyes? No, I did not. I have no further questions for this witness, Your Honor. There was the expectation of the Messiah in the Old Testament. And the defense calls a second witness. Please state your name for the record. And the lady says, My name is Joanna. I was one of the women that came to the tomb that first day of the week to anoint the body of Jesus. And so the questions began. Why were you going to the tomb? We were going to anoint the body. You see, it was done so hastily when they took Jesus down from the cross. It wasn't done really like women would do it. Joseph and Nicodemus were the ones that did it, and they did it in such a hurried manner. And you know how men are. They're not going to do it like a woman would do. So we're going to, to properly anoint the body. That's what we were doing. What did you see when you were there? He asked. The great stone that was we'd seen the men rolling over the opening was, was gone. It was rolled away. And as we entered the tomb, we didn't find his body. We saw the grave clothes laying there. We found an empty tomb. What else did you see, Joanna? Well, as we stood there pondering these things, there suddenly two men in, in bright clothing showed up. And they were angels, and they were exclaiming, what had happened? They told us that Christ had risen. Listen in Luke 24. He records it there in Luke chapter 24. It says, While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Joanna said the exclamation that the angels had telling us about His resurrection. That's what we heard. And that's what I testify. So you mean to tell the court that you testify that you saw an empty tomb? And you heard the exclamation of the angels telling of His resurrection? Yes, sir, that's right. This tomb was empty except for the grave clothes. I have no further questions, Your Honor for this witness, and now it's time for Satan to get up and cross-examine. 
He rises and he says, Joanna, is it possible that the empty tomb was because the body was never put there? Oh, no, sir. Luke writes in his gospel, chapter 23 and verse 55, we tell us how, how we all, all of us women, we, we followed as they laid his body in the tomb. We had observed it and we saw them roll the stone over the opening. So we saw them put the body in there. Well, Joanna, is it possible maybe the disciples came back in, in the darkness of night and took the body? Try to fool everybody into believing that he had risen? And she answers, no. Matthew wrote in his gospel, chapter 28, and verse 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how he, the deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. One last question, Joanna, Satan asked. Did you ever see the supposed resurrected Jesus with your own eyes? No, I saw the empty tomb and I heard the angels exclaiming, but I didn't see Him with my own eyes. Ha! Satan says. Your Honor, the defense hasn't proved a thing. They've paraded an old gray beard in here telling of Old Testament prophecies. Expecting the Messiah to come. And then we have a woman here who says she saw an empty tomb that can't be explained by science or reason. And she says that they got so emotional and all that they saw these angels in her head. I think they were in her head telling about Jesus being resurrected from the dead. It was just hallucinations. They haven't proven a thing. The defense attorney speaks up and he says, I'm not done yet. I'd like to call one more witness. A witness that will testify with eyewitness testimony. He says, Your Honor, this is a little bit unorthodox, but I'm going to call myself to the stand. The defense attorney called himself as his last witness. State your name for the record. I'm John the Apostle. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I walked with Him and I talked with Him. And I'd like to tell you my story. It pleases the court. This will be my questioning myself and also my closing argument, John says. It's my eyewitness testimony. I'm the only one of the four Gospel writers that actually knew Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't know Jesus. I knew Him. And I wrote these things so that you might believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. John goes on to say, if we could ever get a clear picture of our Lord, 
I believe we would fall down our faces before Him right now. If we could see, really see who Jesus is, I believe we would have no choice but to abandon ourselves in worship. How do I tell you about Jesus? Well, I could start by telling you of the ancient prophecies, telling of a town called Bethlehem where a virgin would give birth to a son and call his name Emmanuel. I could tell you the night those prophecies were fulfilled when a bright star filled the Bethlehem sky with light. And angels in a field nearby were confronted by an angel. Shepherds were confronted by an angel who said, Fear not. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the shepherds went and saw for themselves Mary and Joseph and the baby sleeping in a manger. Or I could tell you about the part that I knew, John says. The part where I walked with Him. I can tell you about His life. How He walked the dusty roads of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, telling people of God's love, and healing all those who came in contact with. The sick, the lame, the blind, the lonely, and those trapped in sin. I could tell you of His miracles, how He turned water into wine, how He walked on the water, how He raised the dead. Or I could simply show you the lives of the people that He touched. How they came to Him and found hope and forgiveness and new life in Him. I would have to tell you about His last days of suffering. How He was denied three times by one friend and betrayed by another. How he was arrested by a group of Roman soldiers who wrapped him in a purple robe and shoved a crown of thorns upon his head. They mocked him and spit on him and beat him in the face until he was unrecognizable. And then when he was too weak to even walk, they made him carry his own cross up a hill called Calvary where they drove great nails in his hand and his feet fastening Him to that cross and they raised Him above the angry crowd below. After hours of agony spent struggling just to get a breath, the weight of our sin, my sin and your sin was upon Jesus. And for the first time in His life, He felt the separation from the Father. You see, our sin separates us from God. And He had my sin and your sin laid upon Him. And he cried out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And when Jesus died, the most wonderful song of triumph ever heard in the ears of an unbelieving universe was heard. It is finished. But the story doesn't end there. There's a borrowed tomb and a large stone that sealed its opening. Come with me there and keep watch. The first day as we relive the agony of that brutal death that He died. The second day 
really, really realizing the pain of what we lost. Is He really gone? And the third day. The third day. Something's happening. Under our feet, the ground is shaking. We're confronted with a blinding light. As the angels roll away the stone and Jesus comes forth in majesty and power, a wave of worship comes over us that we cannot explain and we cannot contain. We cry out with all of creation, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is He who was dead and is alive again. And let every knee bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. And let every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the courtroom drama's over. I want to ask you a question this morning. I started off asking you to imagine this courtroom setting. And each, of, each and every one of us did this. We imagined where we were sitting in the courtroom. Which side were you sitting on? Were you sitting on the side where the accuser of the brethren, Satan, was? On the prosecuting side, in disbelief? Were you sitting there with the Pharisees saying, I don't believe that stuff? If you were, you could swap sides. You can come over to the side of those of us who believe, the, the side that had Moses and Abraham and Isaac and some of your loved ones and some of mine who have gone on to be with the Lord who were believers. You can join that side. Or maybe this morning you, were, you visualized yourself in that jury box trying to make your mind up. Trying to decide for yourself. Listening to the evidence. Seeking the answer. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the answer. He is the only answer. You come to Him. You come to Him this morning. In just a minute, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes and have a time of prayer. A time where the Holy Spirit may be speaking to your heart. You cry out to God and the way that you need to. Maybe He's speaking to you. And maybe there's some things in your life that you know are wrong. You need to lay at His feet today. As I said earlier, His, His arm is not too short to save. You trust Him. Let's bow together. Father, Your Holy Spirit is here this morning with us. Lord, we're just so grateful for Your Son, Jesus, who rose again from the cross. After dying on that cross, He rose from that grave, Lord, and we just praise You for that. We're thankful for the fact that He took our sins, my sin and all of our sins on, on, his, on his own self, Lord. We're just so grateful for that, and we just praise You. Father, there may be some here this morning who are seeking You, Lord, and we just ask that they reach out to You, Lord, in faith. Join those of us who have surrendered our lives to You. Father, move among us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.